Before we begin our Torah study tonight, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. I want to focus on the Haftorah reading from Isaiah tonight. This week's Haftorah reading has a decidedly messianic flair. And the prophet Isaiah speaks often about Messiah and his character and distinctive qualities and reveals some of the keys to help us recognize Messiah. And as well, Isaiah helps us learn some important points regarding messianic lifestyle and what it means to be messianic. So it's a very interesting reading. And the Haftorah for the Shabbat is in Isaiah, starting in chapter 10, but we're going to look at chapter 11, a few verses starting in Isaiah 11, verse 1. And as we read this, if you're already a Messianic believer, you'll, you'll see some things about Messiah immediately. But what you may not know is that all traditional Judaism reads this passage as a passage about Messiah. Now, the question then is, if everyone's reading the same thing, why don't we all come to the same conclusions? And we're going to talk about that. Because there are some very specific reasons why people could read this and say it's about Messiah and then get confused about who Messiah is. And I want to help settle that. So Isaiah chapter 11, verse, 11, verse 1 rather says, A branch will emerge from the trunk or the stump of Jesse. Yeshai, a shoot will grow from his roots, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and power, the spirit of knowledge and fearing the Lord. He will be inspired by the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but he will judge the impoverished with justice. He will decide fairly for the humble of the land. He will strike the land with a rod from his mouth and slay the wicked with a breath from his lips. Justice will be the belt around his waist, faithfulness the sash around his hips. We're going to stop there for just a moment and, and look at this. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Do you remember when Yeshua read from the scroll of Isaiah, another part of Isaiah, which says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then Yeshua made a comment that this is fulfilled in your hearing to all those who were at the Saturday Shabbat service where he was reading the Haftorah. The spirit of the Lord is upon him. That is what this passage tells us. It tells us that, that Messiah will come from the line of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. So this is a reference to uh, the Davidic line. And then it ends in this reading that we just looked at um, in verse 8. Justice will be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the sash around his hips. And where it says justice, it uses the word sedek. And sedek is a root word that means justice, it means righteousness, and it can also mean charity. Uh, 
but it's saying that, that righteousness and justice will be around him as a belt, and it uses the word emunah, faith or faithfulness, will be a sash around his hips. And this, this idea of him being clothed in righteousness and him wearing faithfulness, this is a poetic theme that appears over and over again in Isaiah. We're going to look at another reference shortly. But it's also a theme that shows up in the writings of the apostles. When we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness. Yeah, it's using the same idea, righteousness, tzedek. The same idea is referenced here. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith or faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness are one and the same, with which you can extinguish all the, the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of Salvation, that's right, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so these ideas that Paul is talking about don't arrive out of nowhere. They're not just original ideas or creative ideas that, that he came up with. They are um, references to the messianic understanding that Isaiah had and the description that Isaiah gave. In fact, in Isaiah 59... Verse 17, it says of Messiah, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So this idea from Isaiah 59 of righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation, these are the references that Paul uses when he's describing the armor and the weapons of the Spirit. So in a sense, Paul is saying we need to learn to be like Messiah. We need to learn what are the weapons Messiah used. He didn't use military weapons. He used spiritual weapons. He wasn't powerful just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And we need to learn what are the keys to that. And it's not bravado. It's, it's not saying we're really tough. It's rather embracing these messianic qualities that Messiah himself uh, embraced and reflected. So to be messianic means I want to be like Messiah. That's important. So that means we have to be willing to engage in the spiritual battle that's in front of us. So I want to tell you, if, if you got into the life of faith thinking this was a way to escape the spiritual battle... I, I want to fix that misunderstanding for you. This is a way for you to engage in the spiritual battle, which can explain to you how life really is. You see, some people were looking for easy street, and, and they heard a proclamation of the gospel that said, you will have no more problems if you put your faith in the Lord. And then you're wondering, well, why do I have all these problems? And people will say, you're just going to be blessed and that you're going to prosper and everything's going to go well with you. And then you're wondering, why is there adversity? 
And why is there difficulty? And why is there suffering? And I want to tell you, the scriptures are clear that we are called into a conflict zone. But we're called to be victorious, not in our strength, but in his strength. Not in our righteousness, but in his righteousness. And the Lord wants us to get that clear so that we're not confused about how to live. If you think life should be, how would I put it? Like, totally comfortable, easy. What you're looking for is life on the other side. But in order to get there, you got to go through this life. And I want to encourage you, don't make a mistake about the kind of life you're called to live, that we are called to live. We're called to live for God, we're called to live with God, and we're called to live in a world that's broken. How many of you know the world is broken? And you and I are called to be light in a dark place and to bring virtue to a place that has inadequate virtue and justice. Once we get that right, then we can embrace the life that we have. If we don't get that right, we'll get everything. <laughs> Potentially, we can get everything wrong. So we need to learn to do battle. And the easiest way to learn how to live is to look at how Yeshua lived. The easiest way to see what is good is to look at the life of Yeshua and to learn his life and his teachings so that we can hear from him what's actually good. So we read about this branch that's going to come from the trunk of Jesse. We read about the Spirit of God being upon him. And we read about the battle that he's called to, that you and I are called to. And I want to ask you to embrace this real world that we're living in. Don't try to get out of this world. You know the story about the charismatic believer who died and ended up in the wrong place. Yeah. And his response was, it's not hot, I'm not here. And that really won't get you anywhere. That is a theological joke. That is, uh, don't take me too seriously. I want to encourage you to fix your eyes on Messiah and to understand that what he has done for us is the very key to understanding how we can live for him. Now, as I was reading through this, I was thinking, how is it that we could read about Messiah, and there's more in Isaiah 11 that we could look at and elsewhere, but I thought, how is it that not only in Messianic synagogues, but in synagogues all over the world, Isaiah is going to be read, and there's going to be this description of Messiah, an accurate description of him, and it's not only this passage, but this, this should stir our appetite for the other things about Messiah that are written in Isaiah so that we could understand how to recognize Messiah. But I was thinking, how is it that we could all be reading from the same text? We could all, all have access to the same content, 
and yet some would not recognize Messiah. And, and so I decided um, I, I would read about some other traditional rabbinic understandings of Messiah. And uh, I, I went to one particular source which said that here's one of the things that you need to know about Messiah. It, it quotes all of these qualities, all of these characteristics from Isaiah. And then it says, okay, so he's going to establish justice and he's going to um, establish righteousness. So what that means is he is going to reestablish the Sanhedrin in Israel. And then they will rebuild the third temple in order to reinstitute the sacrifices, the blood sacrifices of the temple. And not only that, but he will be a master of teacher of Torah, which means not only the written Torah, but oral Torah. So I read that and I thought, oh, that's interesting because none of that's in the passage. All of that comes from somewhere else. It does not actually come from the Bible. It's an explanation above and beyond. And I was thinking about this very normal human tendency to add details. And think about how we add details. We add our expectations, right? We add our own traditions, the ones that we've learned about. We add what other people have told us. We add, and this is important, we add what we heard as children. Movies that we saw inform our understanding of the Bible and sometimes are our understanding of the Bible. How many people think that the Prince of Egypt is actually, the movie, the Disney movie, is actually inspired? Well, none of us would say it's inspired, but there are little kids who have seen the Prince of Egypt who think it's accurate, right? But take another generation. How many people have seen, uh, who is it, Cecil D. DeMille? Cecil D. Yes, been a long time since I had to say his name out loud. Uh, Cecil D. Oh, it's so proper. It sounds better, doesn't it? Cecil D. DeMille. Uh, the Bible and the Ten Commandments. And we, we see the parting of the Red Sea the way he did it. We see Moses, the, you know, Moses must have been Charlton Heston, right? Or vice versa. And I had a little taste, a little taste of this. When, when I was relatively new in the Messianic movement, a friend of mine, Michael Wolf, a rabbi in Cincinnati, good friend uh, over many years, he decided to make a movie called The Cup of Elijah. And it was a wonderful, uh, low-cost production. And he asked me to play the part of Elijah because he, he knew that I, I really liked the, the person and the character, Elijah. And so the next year after this movie came out, I was at Messiah Conference and all these little kids, like four years old and five years old, kept following me around <laughs> and looking at me. You're like, wow. And they would talk to each other, you know, like, no, you, you go up. No, no, you go up. And one of them was the spokesman for this group of little kids and they came up and said to me, you look just like Elijah. 
And the reason was they had seen the movie and they thought that the Elijah in the movie was Elijah. And then they see me and they're thinking, oh, wow, he looks just like Elijah. They actually did not get the connection. And I, I had a lot of fun with that. But <laughs> yeah, they asked me to do a few miracles. They asked me to explain some things. You're like, because in the movie, Elijah runs really fast and far. And one of them said, how did you do that? I said, I just ran really fast. And they're like, wow. <laughs> and there was this stop action scene where uh, Elijah prays over a cup, an empty cup, and it fills up with wine. And one of them said, how did you do that? And I said, it takes faith. And they went away, it's like, wow, we got to talk to Elijah. It was amusing. By the time they reached like 10 years old, they were on to me. And I couldn't pull anything. But that helped me understand something. What we think is our Bible knowledge may in fact be our memory of a story that someone told when we were a kid going, to Sunday school, as an example, or a book, a golden book of the Bible with illustrations, and a family member read to us these stories, and we've blurred those things, and they become one memory, and we actually think certain things are in the Bible that aren't in the Bible, but they are in the movies. Now, as an example, don't answer this out loud. If, if you don't mind, um, like thinking quietly to yourself and then whisper to someone next to you your answer. Ask about this. Where in the Bible does it talk about that predator dwelling together with the lamb? There's a there's a predator, think about it, that's going to dwell together with the lamb and think about the animal. Don't tell me, but whisper it to someone near you and just say what it is. And then I'll tell you what 90% or more people think it is. 90% plus of the people think it's the lion and the lamb that will dwell together. What's the actual answer? The wolf and the lamb. From, from Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 25. The wolf and the lamb will graze together, or as the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society uh, translation says, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard or the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. But for many of us, we, we hear the lion and the lamb will be together. 
That's what, how we remember it. Now, maybe you remember it accurately, but I can tell you most people have blurred it. And when someone says the lion and the lamb are going to be together, they go, yeah. <laughs> and the fact is, Yeshua is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is the lamb of God. And in him, the lion and the lamb are together. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the wolf in the lamb. So many of us, you know, we have our own ideas or an idea because we saw Noah's Ark with uh, Russell Crowe, was it? Yeah. And we have this idea of what the Ark was and how it was and so forth. All of those things, all of those stories, all of the things we heard from our youth all the way up, they, they tend to blur together into one memory that we draw on. And then sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we don't even realize that the Bible says something different than what we thought. And so it is today and tomorrow as people read Isaiah in synagogues all over the world, they're going to blur together things that others have told them that are not actually in the Bible, but their parents told them, their rabbi told them. You see, there's an idea that traditional rabbinic Judaism is built upon. Rabbinic Judaism that came after the time of Yeshua and came up with an alternative to biblical Judaism and it was based on oral Torah and came up with a whole, it's like a fabrication, a theological fabrication that was able to add things and change things and adjust things in order to have a foundation that excluded Yeshua. This is important to understand. It was intentionally designed to be an alternative for all, to all the Jews who believed that Yeshua was the Messiah. It's like, no, here's a way to come up with an alternative. It's based on a rabbinic concept of oral Torah. And since Yeshua didn't teach oral Torah, and since oral Torah doesn't advocate for Yeshua, it's an easy way to build a theological construction that prevents people from even seeing what the Bible says. And so to this day, people who say that they believe the Bible is inspired in the Word of God, Jews who do, can read the text that says one thing, but they add to it other things that make them say, well, Yeshua couldn't be the Messiah. Here's why. Here's why. And all the reasons are oral Torah reasons. So it would be sort of like, uh, so I, I don't want to give another comparison. We'll erase that. But there are ways to, to prevent people from looking carefully at Torah. And the easiest way is from childhood to build into people an understanding that is separate from the scriptures but seems to be connected to the scriptures. But it's not really 
connected to the scriptures. If you came from another religious tradition, uh, Jews and Catholics, for instance, are really good at creating traditions. And so if, if you came from a Catholic tradition, then you would have an alternative set of traditions that are not based in the Bible, just like Jews would have a set of traditions that are not based in the Bible. But it would all be blended together, and you would think it's all inspired when it's not all inspired. Some of it is just human tradition and additional teachings that in some cases will lead you away from what the Bible actually says. So as, as we're thinking about this, it's important for us to understand that the plan of God, if I can say it this way, is to, to make Yeshua clear to us so that we could recognize him. Maimonides came up with a plan how to recognize Messiah. He, he had several ideas, but all of them centered around the idea that Messiah would restore the temple, the sacrifices, and teach oral Torah. All those things. And I want to assure you of this. Yeshua is not going to teach oral Torah. He does teach orally, but that's not the same thing. Don't be confused about it. And there are many in the Jewish world who believe that they will recognize Messiah as soon as he comes because they know what he's going to do. And the reason they know what he's going to do is because they figured it out and their teachers have said this is how and why. But in Isaiah, there are keys to recognizing Messiah. And one of the keys is in Isaiah 53 which says this, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. And surely he took up our pain, and he bore our suffering, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, and afflicted. So one of the keys that Isaiah talks about, if you want to recognize Messiah, is you have to look for Messiah who's rejected by his very own people. So if Within traditional Judaism, there is this assertion, as soon as Messiah comes, we'll know who he is. The answer is no. Isaiah tells us, when Messiah comes, we won't recognize him. We won't. In fact, we'll say about Messiah that he was rejected by God and punished by God because he sinned against God. But Isaiah says he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed <coughs> so here isaiah disagrees with many of the teachings of traditional rabbinic judaism 
and many of the teachings up <coughs> of um, oral Torah. So if you want to ask someone, so who do you think this passage is talking about? Jews all over the world will say, well, this is talking about Messiah, Isaiah 11. Well, what about Isaiah 53? Who do you think this is talking about? In the days of old, there was understanding Isaiah 53 was talking about Messiah. Now there's this new teaching. This is Israel, not Messiah. And why is there anti-Semitism? Well, Isaiah says why, because Israel gets rejected. That's not right. That is not correct. This is about Messiah. It's about the person, Messiah. Now, one of the hints, if we can turn back. To Isaiah 11. And it says this. On that day, the root of Jesse, which stands as a banner for the peoples, the nations, the Gentile nations will seek him out. And the place where he rests will be glorious. So one of the, the messianic signs is this, that Gentiles will seek out Messiah. Isn't that interesting? It's also important. So whether you come from a Jewish background or you come from a Gentile background, if you're seeking the true Messiah, you are a fulfillment of this prophecy. There are some Jews who would say, well, if Gentiles are seeking out Jesus, then that's proof that Jesus couldn't be the Messiah because Jews ought to be seeking him out. Well, it's not an either or. I want to, that to be clear to you. It's not one or the other. Isaiah is saying something very clear, and that is Messiah is of the Jewish people and for the Jewish people, but his ministry is not limited, nor is his attraction limited to the Jewish people. He is going to reach the nations of the world as well. So in a Messianic synagogue, we have this opportunity. We have this opportunity to explore Jews and Gentiles together seeking the Jewish Messiah affirming his Jewishness in a synagogue. Now, for those who come from traditions and experience that's outside the synagogue, it, it costs you something to come into synagogue life. To those who come from synagogue life and from Jewish community life and family life, it costs you something too. It costs all of us something. Every one of us has to pay a price, but it's not something strange. It's the humble price of coming before the Lord and saying, I need you and what you've done for me. I need your sacrifice, your atonement. And I call beautiful what you call beautiful. I call wonderful what you call wonderful. I call good what you call good, even if others around me, family and friends, think it's strange. But I consider to be joined to the Lord to be everything, to be one with God 
to be united with God and to allow his authority to become authoritative in my life to define for me all of these things about what is good. This is the key to living faithfully with God and living faithfully with other people who are trying to do the same. It's not that our personalities will always get along. They won't. It's, it's not that we'll always think the same or have the same perspective. We won't. It's this. We will find our unity in him by learning to humble ourselves before him to become more like him and to affirm that he really is the one we want to look upon. He really is the one we want to be like. And we all equally need him. I need him. You need him. We need him. I want to close with a few words from Isaiah. Isaiah 59. It says of the Lord... The Lord saw there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. And therefore, his own arm, his own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. When it says helmet of salvation... It says, the helmet of Yeshua. The Lord looked. Is there any person who can solve the dilemma for all people? The dilemma of unrighteousness and separation from God. Is there anyone who can stand in the gap and bridge this chasm of unrighteousness? And he looked and he said, there's none. And the scripture says, Isaiah says, and so the Lord did it himself. This is one of the keys to understanding who Messiah is. Messiah is not just the best darn human who's ever been around. He's not just a really good guy. He's not just a wonderful teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just anointed in his ministry. Messiah is Adonai himself coming down to become one of us in order to become a kinsman redeemer for us. He did for us what no one could do for us. <coughs> Once we get that part, it clears away a lot of confusion. We know that Menachem Mendel Schneerson is not Messiah. He's not Adonai. We know that, that Bar Kochba was not Messiah. He wasn't Adonai. We know that Shabbatai Tzvi was not Messiah. He wasn't Adonai. Only one Messiah actually claimed to be Adonai. And that was Yeshua. And the only reason he claimed to be was because he was. That's why. He wasn't a pretender. He wasn't confused. He was the Lord who came down for us. 
I shared this with you because you may ask yourself, well, how is it that everybody can read this and not get it? It's important to know. It's also important to understand why over and over again you'll hear me and Rabbi Yuri say, we do not believe in the authority of oral Torah and the halakha associated with it. We do not because Yeshua did not and does not. And we understand that historically that whole system of oral Torah, despite whatever good it may have, was devised to establish an alternative to the growing messianic faith of the Jewish people at the time of Yeshua. And once you get that, then you'll understand why repeatedly we'll say, it's, oral Torah is not authoritative, halakha is not authoritative, and don't be misled by that. If you, if you accept the authority of oral Torah and halakha, you cannot be a messianic Jew because those systems declare you cannot be a believer in Yeshua the Messiah. It's important to get that clear. So I'm ready to stop. I want to pray for you that not only will you be clear for yourself, but you'll be able to have adequate conversation with other people. And you'll be able to know what you believe and why you believe and be able to point people back to Isaiah, for instance, to show Yeshua to anyone who has sincere questions. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for sending us your prophetic word in, through Isaiah, that we would be able to recognize Messiah. And we don't want to add to Isaiah, and we don't want to take away from Isaiah. We thank you that you have used Moses and the prophets to speak about Yeshua. And let it be that we can do the same. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panave lecha v'yichunecha Yisa Adonai panave lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep watch over you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, sir. Fellowship, fellowship in the Vegel uh, in the school. She's